Why don't you turn with me again to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, Uh, we read verses 7 through 21, that's the passage we'll be looking at this morning. It's a longer passage, Uh, that does not mean this will be a longer sermon. Uh, We've already done a baby dedication and uh, time is of the essence, but uh, even as Jason prayed, we want to look at really some familiar ground, some things that we, if we're not careful, we can just kind of assume we know what it's going to say. We can assume we know what to expect, and if we're not careful, we're going to miss some some key exhortations, some key applications, some key warnings along the way. So we would want to just kind of pause and say, this is a passage about love, God's love, our love. Let's not assume. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would instruct us now through it, build us up, equip us, call those who are not yet yours to yourself. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, this morning, or uh, growing up rather, I I grew up in a 1960s ranch. Uh, so you you already have a picture. They were the same in Massachusetts as they are in Michigan. It had three small bedrooms down the hall, and then had like a living room, kitchen, place to eat. And then my parents had added on, or maybe it was the previous owners had added on a back porch uh, off of where we ate. And uh, when I was a boy, I don't know how old I was, I, I didn't double check with my mom, but uh, at one point we, we decided we were going to level a place in the backyard and put in an above ground pool, a 15 by 30. We were in a small neighborhood, so it was most of our, it was going to be a good part of our backyard. And we were going to add decks. And so normally you would go out the porch and downstairs to the patio, down a flight of stairs to the patio, and then you could go into the garage, which was disconnected, or you could go out to the, the front driveway. But in order to add the pool and then add this whole deck system that would link the porch to the pool, they, they had done some construction. And to warn us not to use the back door, so we would use the front door, uh, they had locked it. And, and so I, I, I needed to go outside and I did what I had done my whole life, which was not use the front door. I went to the back door and I unlocked it, not thinking a thing about it. And I, and I stepped out and I fell and it was like a decking with all the, the kind of deck boards removed. So they still had the, the trusses and I fell. I didn't fall the whole way through, but I hit my back and I hit my legs and I was mostly just stunned that like, oh, how did I unlock the door? Like I, right away, I knew what I had done. Like I had to unlock it. I, that door is never locked. What was I doing? I just kind of stepped out, dropped, was humbled and was sitting there thinking, laying there thinking, ouch. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't have just assumed, right? Because it's familiar that I didn't need to note some things. It's a simple illustration of, I think, what we're going to see in our passage. There's some things we need to notice. It's about God's love. It's about our love. We can read a verse like, First John 4, 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And we can kind of yawn. Like, okay, another sermon about, about love. But we, we need to stop. So familiar, we need to stop. And I want to take this passage, which begins in verse 11, it goes all the way down to verse 21. And I want to structure our time here around three points. And those three points are a progression. So let me give you the progression. And then I'll give you the points. So I think you need to see the progression to kind of know where we're going. First part. God's love. So we're going to move uh, from God's love to salvation in Christ. 
And then we're going to move from salvation to Christ to our love to God. And then we're going to move from our love to God to our love to others. So the progression is God's love, salvation through Christ, then our love to God, and then our love to others. If we jump to the last stop in the progression, we won't feel the weight of it. Imagine an arrow, and the tip is our love to others. Verse 7, beloved, we ought to love one another. That's where he's aiming. That's what he wants to drive into your heart in this passage. But, but what it's being carried on, the momentum, the shaft of the arrow is all these other truths. We need to see God's love. We need to see salvation on the cross. We need to see then our responsive love to God. And then we arrive at where we live our lives, which is how we relate to others here in this passage, particularly our love for other Christians. So let me give you the three points with that progression in mind. Point number one, God's love is revealed in salvation through Christ. God's love is revealed through salvation in Christ. Secondly, salvation through Christ expresses itself in love for God. Secondly, salvation through Christ expresses itself in love for God. Third, love for God is seen in love for others. You see the progression. Now, point number one. God's love is revealed in salvation through Christ. God's love is revealed in salvation through Christ. We want to note just a few things, real fun, fundamental things about love from our passage. Look again at verse 7 with me. 1 John chapter 4, verse, verse 7. Love is from God. That is, God is the source of love so he draws out two implications by way of example the rest of verse 7 note whoever loves has been born of god and knows god because love is from god or verse 8 anyone who does not love does not know god because love is from god god is the source of love such that those who know him will be loving God is the source of love such that those who, who are his, who have their source in him, we might say, will be loving. Love is sourced in God. Why? Why is that? Well, verse 8, because God is love. He isn't just the source of love, but here we see God is love. Love isn't just from God, but God is love. Imagine with me if there was no creation. No universe. If there was no you and there was no me. God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. Would still have a perfect love between them. We might call this God's inward love. Between the persons of the Godhead. It's a love that cannot be increased. For it is infinite. It cannot be decreased. It is eternal. This love between the Father and the Son. Between the Son and the Father. And on with the Holy Spirit. Yet God chose to extend that love. That internal love. This perfect love outward. 
so others beyond the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, so others creatures that he has created, you and I, can now become, in God's gracious free choice, the objects of his love. So his love to others is caused by himself as he, his inward perfect love moves outward in love towards his creatures, sinners though we are. So, because love starts with God, love is from God, God is love, love is defined by God. Can we agree with that? Love is defined by God, not by our culture. Now our culture has had several definitions for love. It has one this week, it'll have a new one next week. At some points in the past, as we talked about back in chapter 2, our culture has said, if you love me, you will tolerate my views. So love is going to look like leaving room for people to disagree. Then love became, well, if you love me, you'll accept me on my terms. You'll affirm my choices. Today, it's more common for our culture to say, if you love me, you will celebrate me. If you can't celebrate me, you don't love me. It's hate not to celebrate. And when we find other competing definitions of love, we want to ask something that John has already led us to ask, which is, where is truth in the culture's definition of love? So if it's not true, we can't call it the truth in the name of love. So we love others well when we speak to them and of them consistent with the truth. So love isn't necessarily at odds with confrontation. Love isn't at odds with correction. Those things can be done unlovingly, but they're not necessarily unloving if it's consistent with the truth. Look back at chapter 3, verse 18. We saw this, didn't we? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in... Do you remember? Truth. So our love is rooted in, our love, our human love is defined by God's love and God's truth. So we're not free to kind of redefine it how we want. Rather, we're commanded to imitate it. Not the culture, but God's love. We are to imitate. Then our passage kind of zooms in and we move in the progression from God's love to salvation in Christ. Look at verse 10 as we move along this progression. Look at verse 10. God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we see love's gospel clarity here in verse 10. So we know what love is because God has made it known. He's manifested it. He's revealed his love. Notice his kindness here in the passage. Look back at verse verse 9. In this, the love of God has been manifested among us, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. God has revealed his love among us. What mercy. And he's done this through salvation. So verse 9 is then clarified in verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. That's not where he starts, right? We can't start with our love for God. Stop three in the progression. We have to start with stop one. God's love for us. 
and even begins higher up and further in, doesn't it? In God's love for himself, which we talked about. And then he takes verses 9 and 10, and I think verse 14 kind of summarizes it. Jump down to verse 14. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The Bible teaches that God is love, but it doesn't leave it in kind of this fuzzy land where we can kind of define it. What does that mean to you? 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 And we could discuss, well, what does God is love mean for? No, 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 no. He moves it out of the fuzzies, out of the obscure, out of the unknown, under, out of the unrevealed, the vague. In verse 9, verse 10, verse 14, you have this word sent. God's love is a sending love. It is an outward love, an outgoing love. Love is from God. So God the Father sent his love. He demonstrated his love in sending Jesus on the cross. This is how author Mark Jones puts it. Nothing is more glorious or shows love better than the cross. Nothing causes us to raise our thoughts and hearts so high as recognizing God sent his son to die a cursed death so that we might know the love of God. I love this quote here from a Puritan named William Bates. Listen to what he says. A greater love was expressed to wretched man, talking about us as sinners, than to Christ himself. How so? This is what he says. God, in giving him to die for us, declared that our salvation was more dear to him than the life of his only son. When you read in the Gospels, about Christ's humiliation, about his trial, about the heartache, the betrayal, the suffering, know that that is God showing his love toward you. Verse 14 gives the reason why God sent Christ to be the savior of the world. Let's just be honest here, and I hope you know this, but you need saving. The Bible is really clear. I need saving. Well, saving from what? Well, the Bible gives several answers. We could say saving from ourselves, from our sin, saving from death, that it might not have the final victory, saving from Satan, saving from the sin-cursed world. Yes, 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 yes. But John has something more significant in mind, and we saw it already back in verse 10. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You and I need a savior from God's wrath. God cares about his creation, his image bearers, too much to let our sin go ignored. He loves mankind too much not to punish us for our rebellion against him. So an expression of his love is his wrath against us in our sin. This is what we find, right? God loves us, so God sent Christ to appease the wrath of God against us. Christ then is the propitiation, the the appeasement for our sins. What does this mean? Well, Christian friend, God's wrath against you in your sin has been paid for. Christ took your sin. 
Christ took God's just wrath. Christ took the penalty you deserved. So the love of God is clear and evident. It's not vague. It's not fuzzy. It's not for you to define. The love of God is evident in the cross. In my place condemned, he stood. So why are we punishing ourselves at times when God has offered freedom? Why are we slow to come to him when we can only come to him because he's first come for us? God doesn't cease to be loving when his wrath is aroused against us, yet God reveals his love in our passage another way in salvation through Christ. I've talked to some of you about this, and I think this is something that many of us struggle with as Christians, is we find ourselves knowing the truth. We know of God's love for us in Christ, and we've trusted in his work for us on the cross, and yet we begin to live our lives as Christians, and the time goes on, and we face things that are really hard. It could be suffering. It could be health-related. It could just be heartache. It could be disappointment. It could be ways we're sinned against again and again and again. And we begin in light of our circumstances, to to just wonder, why isn't God hearing my prayers? Why isn't he delivering? Why is he allowing this to continue? And we can begin to question whether or not God is loving. Or we could say something like this, I know he loves me, but I'm not sure he likes me. It seems like he's not for me. And what happens so often when we do that is we take our circumstances and we take our circumstances and we use them as something of a lens and we begin to look out to see God's love. And in light of the lens of our circumstances, we can't see his love. We, it's, it's dim. There's, there's frowning providences and we cannot see his love. And the Bible doesn't say, just pretend like those things aren't real. Ignore them. Move on. No, the Bible says... Use a different lens. Use the lens of the cross. Use the lens of stop two on our progression. Use the clear display of God's love for you in Jesus, in history, through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Use the grace of God to you on the cross. Use that as the lens to begin to look at your circumstances and begin to to work through what God might be doing in in your life. How can you experience God's love in a deeper way? Well, one part to a true biblical answer has got to be don't rush past the familiarity of God's love. Reflect on the father sending his son to be a man, to take your place. Saving you from wrath. Linger there. Point number two. Salvation through Christ expresses itself in love for God. This is especially verses 19 through 21. Salvation through Christ expresses itself in love for God. I think the assumption of our passage is that love for God is the basis for love for others. For the Christian, love for God is the basis for love for others. So look back at verse 11. If God loves us in salvation through Christ, the so there is not so much, but in this way. 
If God loves us in this way, through salvation in Christ, we ought to love one another. But then look down at verse 19, and here we have to put these together. We love, or the King James says, we love him because he first loved us. How did he love us? We know from verse 11, in this way, by sending Christ for us. So those whom God has saved are known for loving God. Loving God is the Christian expression of being loved through Christ. We love him because he first loved us. This is how Matthew Henry put it. Faith in Christ works love of God. He says the first fruit of the Christian life is love for God. If a person claims to be a Christian and doesn't obey the first and greatest commandment, he isn't. If a person doesn't love God, that person hasn't been loved by God, at least not savingly and not yet. They don't know his love experientially yet. Or they would love. He loves us. Therefore, we love him. We love him because he first loved us. Friends, the order really, really matters. We don't win his love by loving him more and more and more or enough. It doesn't say he loves us because we started loving him. No, God initiates. God sends. Remember the verb we've seen three times. Love is from God. God is love. So we believe in response. Verse 16, look at this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. We have come to know the love that God has for us through the cross. Matthew Henry made reference to the greatest, the first and greatest commandment. We see this in the Old Testament. We see it repeated again in the New Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of you loving only him. Mind, will, emotions, all of us loving only him. So often we think about our love for God. Only in terms of outward obedience. And yet the passage, the greatest commandment, which is repeated again and again, says, man, if you're going to love God, it's going to start with your mind, actually. You need to love the Lord your God with your mind. And then it actually pushes further, doesn't it? With all of your mind. This is how Augustine put it. So anyone who thinks that he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot by his understanding build up this double love of God and neighbor has yet, has not yet succeeded in understanding them. What is he saying? We, we want to love God with our minds. So we study the word. We get in the word. I hope you're in the word regularly. But if that in the wordness does not result in what Augustine calls the double love, love for God and love for neighbor, you don't get the word. So the right study of God's word, the right loving of God with our mind, will result in loving others as well. So we love God by going to his word, and through his word, we're increasing, we grow in our love for God, and it spills out in our love for for others. What does it mean to love God with all our strength? This means we're spending our energy. We're burning calories, right? We're burning calories to love God. What energy are you spending 
regularly that's not in love for God. Augustine helps us make sense of a question like that. He wrote, he loves thee too little who loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. This is not a call to only love God. This is a call to love God supremely and allow all other loves to be an expression of our love for God. We talked about this in Ecclesiastes, didn't we? We want to be people that love all sorts of things for God's sake. Enjoy his good gifts for his sake. Don't confuse the gift with the giver, but we love him with all of our strength. I think that's what he means back in verse 9, so that we might live through him. We live our lives as worship to him. Let me pause at this point as we've moved through our progression. We begin with God's love, and then we talk about salvation through Christ, and then love for God. At this point, we need to kind of pause before we go to our final point and say, if, if you claim salvation through Christ, but you're not living out of a love for God, God wants you to call that claim into question. God calls that claim into question. The link in our progression, these links, are that tight. So when it comes to the Christian's love for God, it's absolutely essential. Essential to the Christian life. There's grace for imperfection. But there's not room for exceptions. If you are a Christian, you will love God. So point one, God's love is revealed in salvation through Christ. Point two now, we just concluded salvation through Christ expresses itself in love for God. Now point three, maybe the simplest, maybe where you thought we would begin. Love for God is seen in love for others. Friends, being born again looks like something. It looks like loving other people. That's, that's actually what it looks like. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Let us love one another for love is from God. Then notice how tight he can make this connection, the link. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. There's no asterisk here, right? He's linking these very tightly together. Being born again or knowing God looks like love for others. So being alive, being in a relationship with God, loving him, looks like loving others. The link is that strong at the end of verse 7, in the beginning of verse 8. You can't know the God of love and not love. I think that's the rationale. You can't know the God of love and not love. You can't have the spirit of love indwelling in you and not have the spirit's fruit of love in your life. I've used this illustration countless times in different contexts. But you can't be hit by a Mack truck and not be changed. You can't have an experience, a relationship with the God of love and not have the imprint of love on your life. It will change you. Look at verse 21. Look again at verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. So love for God is seen in, is seen in love for others. 
Note the connection back with verse 12. Verse 12 we read, no one has ever seen God. No one has seen God. God isn't seen, but God's love is. And our love for God is. Do you see what he's doing? No one has seen God. But God is seen through salvation on the cross. And our love for God is seen through our love for others. So this is all about the church making visible the gospel. This is all about the invisible God making himself known through his people. Making his love known through their love. God's love is seen in salvation through Christ. We don't see God, but we see God's love in Christ. Our love for God is seen in love for others. Again, look at, look at the end of verse 20. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Why in the world would we assume that you love God who you cannot see if you don't love God who you can see? Or if you don't love others who you can see. Look look at the beginning of verse 20. This is one of the most memorable questions here. I guess it's not a question. One of the most memorable statements in the Bible. If anyone says, I love God. And hates his brother. He is a liar. For. He who does not love his brother whom. He has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Why would we believe you when you say I love God if you hate other Christians? In the New Testament, this this love is marked by a commitment. It's loving when you don't feel like loving it's loving when it's hard it's loving when the other christian is not so lovely it's making visible the truths of the gospel in the context of relationships so christian love for other christians confirms it's not the ultimate grounds of our assurance but it does confirm that we are christians indeed so john doesn't have a category for someone who says i love god but i don't really love other christians John does have a category for someone who says, I love God and I struggle at times to really love other Christians. I I want to love them, but such love is hard. And yet by God's grace and with his spirit's help, I, I do. I love them. We need to remember as we go through this passage, as we go through all the book, that Paul is writing to those who he he knows, he assumes and knows to be truly born again. So the command back in verse 7, let us love one another, is given to those who are true Christians. And so this call to obedience here in the expression of love is a call from assurance. Brother and sister in Christ, get this. This is a call from assurance. Not to gain it. John isn't telling you, I'm not telling you, if you love more, you can finally have some assurance that you're a Christian. No, John is saying, Those who hated you, they didn't pass this test, but you are in the light. You are trusting Christ. So you should be assured. And from that assurance, keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving other Christians. And as you mature in that, you will grow in your assurance. So love of others, love of other Christians here is to be from a place of assurance, not to to gain it. 
The love of Christ is the grounds, not our love for others. That's where our confidence lies. It is his love for us, not our love for him or for others. That is the foundation of our assurance. Let me read verse 10 again. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we are commanded to love here and we must love. But we must rest first in our assurance of Christ's love for us. If we are to truly sustain a love for others. We could put it this way. A lover of God looks like a lover of people, especially here in this context, fellow Christians say, pastor, what do you mean? Well, let me tell you what I don't mean. It doesn't mean that every Christian needs to be a people person or an extrovert. It doesn't mean that you need to love everyone easily. It doesn't mean that everyone is easily loved, but it does mean that every Christian displays visibly displays their love for God through love for others doesn't mean everyone's going to notice, but it means others are going to experience this love through you. So it means caring about others. It means pursuing a friendship and building them up through a note. It might be fixing something, or it might be in a timely encouragement, or visiting someone, or delivering a meal, or making a phone call, or a quick follow-up, or an unhurried lunch. It means caring about their spiritual good, not just their physical good. Maybe it's pursuing someone who is struggling or you haven't seen. I love that I I cannot write a list long enough to describe the ways I've seen love worked out in this church. We'd we'd be here for a lot longer. And and I can't, you are called to love in ways that are more creative than I could even think up. You've been loved by God through Christ perfectly. And so you can risk Loving others like that, even if it is not always perfect. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. This is how the gospel that we believe that's changed our lives is made visible to a watching world. Friends, you cannot love Christ and hate his bride. You must love what he loves. You must love fellow believers, even those who are very unlovable. Let me quote Mark Jones one more time. God's love led to action. God's love led to sacrifice. Our love must be no different. If our love never reaches to the place of sacrifice, then we have not loved as God desires us to love. Let's be a church that works out love in these ways. I want to close with just three simple points of application for you when you're like me. Sometimes you have a hard time loving other Christians. What should you do? Three things, real simple. The first, think on the cross often. Think on the cross often. One author noted, and I think it's helpful... Our love for others isn't proportional to God's love for us. Our love for others is proportional to our understanding of God's love for us. So we want to grow in our understanding of how much God loves us in Christ. So think on the cross often. Second, remember 
that when God commands you to love, and he does so clearly in this passage and many others, because when we do, we find joy in loving, even as he does, even when it's hard. So those that are the most holy, the most godly, the most loving are the most happy. There's satisfaction in loving like the Father. We are never more like him, one author put it, than when we love. Third, remember what we said earlier, that we love others from a place of assurance. Please don't leave here trying harder, dealing with your uncertainty about whether or not God loves you by just kind of loving others more or loving him more. No, reflect on verses 16 through 18, which we largely skipped over, right? See how God's love for you as it's worked out in your life, as it's perfected in you as you love others, leads to assurance. Know that love out of love for God is not the same as love out of fear of punishment. So be assured and then seek to love from that place of assurance. Friends, in all our loving, may we love like this. So much in this passage, so much for us to know and apply. But I hope you will begin to walk this road of progression again and again in your mind. Begin with God. God is love. Move to how he's made it visible in the cross. Then respond in love for God and then make that visible in your love for others. Let's pray. Father God, truly, we love you because you first loved us. What do we have that we have not received? You have loved us so well. Help us to love you and love others faithfully. Help us to be a reflection of your love in the lives of others. And we pray all of this in Christ's name.